I'm Alan Barr, and this is Radio Free RPG. Hello, I'm Alan Barr, and welcome to Radio Free RPG. Today I'm joined by my guest, Mark Parrish. Mark, how are you today? I am doing great. That was a very soothing voice on that intro. I think I'll just go ahead and nap through that again. Well, let's uh, wait yeah, till the beautiful. interview is over before you oh, take okay. it. Oh, okay. Good, good. Yes, I, uh, I aim for the lazy, the lazy, oh my gosh. <laughs> I aim for the easy listening RPG podcast category because I'm currently the only one in the market, and so it's easy to be first. <laughs> there you go. I win. All right. So, uh, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your ties and history in the RPG space? Well, uh, I, Mark Parrish, I've been a game designer, well, as long as I can remember, but not officially. It's always been a hobby. Um, so for many years, I did card and board games. I still do. I actually have those out there on a print-on-demand site under the name of Art Free Games. I've got about 20, 25 titles out there. Um, nothing ever officially marketed. I mainly do them on a print-on-demand site so I can print them up and play them at home, play them at home with friends and family. Uh, got into RPGs recently, actually a couple of years back, when on a, on a Kickstarter, one of the random things it, it showed me on Kickstarter was this thing called Tiny Dungeon. I thought, huh, that sounds interesting. I like minimalist stuff. Let's give that a shot. And I've kind of been hooked on the whole Tiny D6 system ever since. Well, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of the end of that story. I think it's fantastic. (laughs) So one of the reasons I invited you on was you are in a unique position a bit where you are one of the few people who licenses Tiny D6 from me to make your own content. Correct. Um, And being able to talk to somebody from the view of the licensor um, to the licensee is, I think, of interest. So why don't we uh, why don't we start with that? Sure, uh, that actually. Can do you have specific questions, or you just want me to oh, talk no, about it in general? Oh, some specific questions. I made a list. So oh, don't please worry. go ahead. All right. So first, you know, uh, in your mind's eye, before you started licensing, what did you imagine RPG licensing was like? Uh. I kind of didn't have a preset thing because I'd never done anything like it before with any other company. It was, it was more of an open question of, I wonder what the hell this is like versus I had some preconceived notions. Um, but I can tell you it's, it's worked out really well. Uh, Alan, you've been great to work with in that regard. Well, even if I haven't, feel free to call me out here. Um, gotcha. There's no problems with that. You've been great to work with, except that one thing that we shouldn't discuss in public. Right, that one. Yeah. Oh, well, now everybody's going to think there really was a <laughs> No. There no, wasn't, a, folks. There wasn't. Nope. Now, um, what you licensed Tiny D6 for was to do a uh, campaign setting for Advanced Tiny Dungeon, which is one of our products, um, but also uh, was uh, a setting... Well, a game that you had written, you had sort of pitched just Advanced Tiny D6 as a little satirical jab at ourselves, uh, because we're always building ourselves as minimalists, and this was kind of the opposite of that. 
um, in terms in comparison to Tiny V6. And you had a world you wanted to uh, expand Advanced Tiny Dungeon with. That it wasn't the right fit for the Gallant Knight games line proper, and so you asked for a license. Yes. Now, why? Why? And now the setting is called. Uh, if I say this wrong, forgive me. Badjavar. Uh, Bahavar. Bahavar. Okay. So, what made uh, Bahavar so good for Advanced Tiny Dungeon rather than you know? 5e or any of the other open source systems that you wouldn't have had to pay for. It it is uh, Bavar is actually my own homebrew world. Uh, it it was written originally. I've been playing in this world for thirty years. Uh, I actually wrote this world back in college, not to the detail that it is in, in this book, but this elemental setting. Pretty much any RPG I go to, Bavar is the world I've been playing it in for decades. Um, but when I came to Advanced Tiny Dungeon and, and the Tiny D6 system, I found a world where I could actually finally make a um, a good permanent home rather than being moved from system to system. Because I love the Tiny D6 system, how in spite of being minimalist, it's, it kind of gets out of the way and, and lets you play. And it can still do absolutely everything you need it to do. So I think it's, it is a great sure. fit for the world just because it's such a good solid system. Okay, so what what sets the setting apart from other settings? Uh, first off, it is an elemental world, and as in a lot of fantasy, of course, you've got air, earth, fire, water. The, the elements are pretty normal. In this case, however, these are your heritages. Like The air people can fly. The air people can move through a soft background like dirt or sand. They can't move through rock. Firefolk can swim in or walk on lava or walk through fire. It's your sure. each heritage has their own things that they're good at based on their element. And uh, if there are elemental attacks in the game, each each heritage has their own strengths and weaknesses, things they're resistant to or immune to or take more damage from. Right. So with that, you know, as a licensee, what are your expectations of a licensor when you are working with them and bringing this thing to life? Because you are, you are paying, you know, depending on the, the structure of the deal, perhaps a licensee fee, perhaps royalties, perhaps both, perhaps something else, right? There, there's a, the act of licensing is a contract between two parties. Payment is going back and forth, theoretically. Um, what, what is your expectation of the licensor uh, when you are in an agreement with them in this regard? Uh, in in this regard, obviously the the payment part is automatic since it's all sold through through drive through RPG. The you know the the payment part of what goes back to the licensor that part's taken care of. As far as expectations for what the licensor would do, uh, the biggest one being just grant me the ability to to sell and play in this world, but do it in in a system that you own. So the fact that you've allowed me to do that is a huge thing. And I'm very appreciative of that. Um, as far as my expectations of you going forward, you know, I don't really have any, I mean, anything you can do as far as help plug the system, things like that. That's great. Sure. But I don't have, have any set expectations of that sure. other than just being allowed to sell the book in the first place. Interesting. So, you know, for me as a person who has been on both ends of the licensing conversation, um, 
to, to me, being a licensee for someone does come with expectations, you know, a, a minimum amount of marketing on my behalf saying, hey, this is at least exists, as it were, right? Um, access to, in times, community spaces, like, for example, uh, in this case, Discord, but previously, you know, forums or things like that. Uh, what would have all landed as part of the expectations I would have had under a licensing agreement. Now, and actually, you're breaking up there, so I didn't hear that last bit if you asked a question. Uh, not yet. I was about to, though. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. It's uh, the hazard of online podcasting. Right. So what uh, what would you expect if, as a licensee, you needed to ask for something from your licensor? What sort of requests do you think you'd be making? And why would you expect the licensor to provide them? Right. And, you know, this is this doesn't have to be in our specific case, but as somebody who is working with someone else in a not quite as collaborative space as working together, but leveraging their creative work to make your own unique creative work. What does that look like? Um, I, I think if I were to come out with more expansions to this world, which by the way, if anybody asks are not currently planned, but I wouldn't put it out. But if I were to come out with say more adventures or things like that, that it's, it's, it would be easier to get those things to market um, easier in terms of, um, because I'm already a licensee, it's kind of a, I don't know the term preferential treatment is the right word, but it's, you, you'd be more ready to consider other things I might have, especially if they pertain to the same world that I've already got out there. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think that's a fair assessment that while the treatment isn't preferential, the act of being a licensee does sort of have an innate implication of being, I'll, I'll use the word elevated above just, you know, in our case, like our community content program. Right. And that's, that's a better word than preferential, but I couldn't think of the right word there. So good one. Yeah. Um, it's but it's like you write for a living. Yeah, well, nobody said I did it well, so we can always be pleasantly <laughs> surprised. So at this sort of, uh, elevated treatment, uh, you know, it comes with various costs, the most notable being, you know, uh, a fee or money. Um, but there's also requirements to not damage the brand you're licensing from. Right. And vice versa, for me to you, there's a requirement for me to both support you as a brand, as well as not doing that would damage your brand as well. We have, we have sort of entered into a mutual ethical and moral compact to treat each other well, in a sense. Right, which I think works out well for, for both of us, because we can basically anything that raises the identity of or raises the awareness of both products helps solve the other one. Exactly. So... You know, when, if you were to consider another license, let's say with a different company and a different rule set, what lessons do you think you would be taking from this to that experience? You know, what would your expectations be different? What would they look like uh, if they were different? Or what would be a warning sign you might be looking for? Um, I think the expectations would be pretty much the the same given that I had no exposure to this before. Now, now I've had exposure to all of one. I would go in with kind of this as a baseline of knowing, okay, now that I've worked with one person, I know basically what to expect. Um, warning signs I might look for uh, would be how much do they ask for as a licensing fee? Like what percentage do they earn? And uh, are they are they expecting things? If, if I'm going in as the 
as the person writing this stuff, obviously what I have is this book, this product or whatever. Are they expecting just that, just that product? Are they expecting me to come out with certain things at certain times, things like that? What are their expectations beyond just this product? If there are any. Um, Which makes sense. So, you know, uh, let's, let's go to the example of this campaign setting. Uh, you described an elemental world. And one of the things this book is, is, is massive by tiny D6 standards. It is. You my, could fend off a home invasion with it. Yes. My, my coffee, my copy hasn't, uh, my copy hasn't arrived yet, but I am looking, I'm looking forward to finding shelf space on my tiny D6. D6 <laughs> that i mean i will probably have to buy a new shelf and just put all the fat goblin micronomicon and uh your, your book there so it can take up the whole shelf absolutely and so one of the things that was interesting on on this book is i actually debated it first because when i was writing it it was actually four separate books right. so i debated do i want to do one book or four but the way they all kind of fit together um, I decided to just do it as one large volume, but that is why it's so large is because it was four separate titles. You have the game world, the bestiary introductory adventures, and this book does something that I've never seen in any supplement before is it takes this medieval fantasy world and the last section of the book is called through the ages. And there's a chapter for each age. So there's a chapter for 1800s Victorian chapter for modern day, futuristic, post-apocalyptic. And then there's a separate genre section that says, regardless of the age, here's rules you can use to play horror, dystopian, time travel, airship campaigns. So you're able to take this one medieval world and play it in all kinds of time periods and all kinds of genres. Right. Which I think is a really interesting idea. And it's very in tune with the sort of metaversal design behind Tiny D6, where all the books are, you know, relatively compatible, um, some more than others, obviously, to, to genre constraints. But this really this really showcases the potential of pulling all those together. Which what, is actually one of the things that helped me write it is, is Tiny Dungeon is so good at doing all that. Right, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. that, that that's been the goal from day one. So it's good to know we achieved it. And I, and I really, I really hold, uh, I really hold the book in a high esteem for that. I think it does a really good job of communicating how that can be gamified and made gameable in a way, even our own products at Gallant haven't, uh, we, we've always stuck to very genre separate products and, and you pulled them together and in my opinion, created the benchmark for that sort of integrated multiversal tiny D six experience. Well, thank you. Um, what, what were some of your concerns going into this and, and this project? Um, honestly, the big concern, not so much the writing of it, because like I say, since I've been playing in this world for so long, it's kind of grown on its own over time. So it wasn't like John D. Payne's Micronomicon, which is a great book, but he had this idea of what he wanted to do. Then he had to sit down and write the whole thing. For me, it had been written for decades. It's just kind of been building on itself. So most of the material was there. So the concern wasn't getting the material out. The concern was more, honestly, the cost. I'm not an artist or a layout artist. So when you do a book of this size, you've got to find stock art. You've got to find a layout artist who can put it all together and make it look good. And in both of those cases, I mean, you've got Rick Hershey's art for the most of it. Uh, and then Carlisle Murley's cover is phenomenal. And of course, the the book design, the Robert Denton, 
he's just such an amazing layout artist. But but so the biggest concern of, is just the cost of putting it all together. Sure. So one thing that's interesting is all those names you uh, mentioned, well, for the most part, they are uh, what I might call Tiny D6 veterans. You know, Rick works and owns and runs uh, Fat Goblin Games, which produces their own Tiny D6 compatible material. Um, the Stranger Stuff uh, game, which is a very kids on bikes genre game. And, um, and he also did a lot of the art and he did the layout for Advanced Tiny Dungeon. Right. Yes, he did art for Advanced Tiny Dungeon and did the layout. So he, he's very versed in Tiny Dungeon. Robert Denton, uh, notably, is our primary layout artist at Gallant Night Games, who does most of our Tiny D6 books in terms of that layout. Um, you know, and so th this is sort of a team of people who are already familiar with Tiny D6 and how it works. Was that intentional or was it more just a, a kind of a happy happenstance of it, you were just connecting with people who you knew could do it? I, I think it was more the latter because I hadn't done things like this before and because I'm on the, the GKG Discord server. I was familiar with those names from being on that server. So it was more when I when it comes time to go look for people who do these things, these are the names I was aware of. So okay. they, they, they sort of fell into the thought. And I will say that um, a lot of the art I've been getting recently, uh, Rick Hershey has his own patreon where yeah. if if you do your own books so people are interested in doing books he does a patreon where you pay a certain amount a month and you get a certain number of pieces of art per month so that's that's actually a very good patreon to be on also if you're looking at doing this kind it's of an thing. excellent deal yep um high quality art from an industry veteran who knows what it takes to make good industry art uh we've used i mean rick Hershey's art in numerous galenet games products and yep. it's only ever been a benefit to us and I will tell you that whole concern of cost, since a lot of that is the art, once you own the stock art, you can use it in multiple things. So if I were to do another book, the cost would be significantly lower. So that helps. Yeah. The uh, and, and for the listeners, check all your stock art licenses, because not every stock artist allows you to reuse the art infinitely. Rick does. But uh, that is not always the situation. So just be aware of whatever license you might be operating under. Good to know. Um, so... Now, here's, here's, I suppose, the loaded question. Um, and considering that, you know, you and I have been talking in, in relation to an upcoming Kickstarter, we're going to engage some of our gallant marketing on your behalf anyway, because we haven't pushed it out yet. But has the book sort of performed what you would have expected coming into this audience? Uh, actually, it's uh, performed a little lower than I expected, given the, um, given the amount of sales that Advanced Tiny Dungeon has had, and given that people... Uh, frequently asked for adventures or bestiaries or campaign worlds. Uh, I actually thought it would sell better than it has. Sure. That's uh, the game publisher's dilemma. Customers ask yeah. for something, but the chances of them actually buying it are not as uh, high as you might think. <laughs> right. Uh, now, people for, always, there's more adventures. I'm like, oh, adventures don't sell. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's probably something I would have done anyway. It's I, I knew going into it that based on, like we talked earlier, the, the cost of the art and the layout, I right. knew that campaign worlds wouldn't sell that much. For me, it was more a labor of love. If, if I was actually doing this from a business right. standpoint, I never would have put this book out. But since I've been playing in this world for 30 years and I sure. love this world, I wanted to have it out there for other people to play in. So, so sometimes, it, sometimes we make games just because we need to make the games. Exactly. And I, and I don't think that's a problem at all. Um, 
but you know, it is always good to know. So with, you know, and obviously, like I said, we're planning to engage some of our marketing on your behalf soon. So there won't be any, I appreciate uh, that. There, there will be hopefully a small bump from sales, but it, it is a thing I've noticed as a, both a licensee and a licensor is that when the actual uh, parent will say of the product line, in this case, Gallant Night Games, because Tiny D6 is our system. Um, when that occurs, when they get involved and sort of push it, sales tend to go up because there's it's seen as a stamp of approval that even though a license is um, is permission and approval to make a product, the the uh, the actual marketing on behalf of the company sort of applies a more official stamp, right? Um, and I'm interested if you have any ways you think that can be overcome from, from your end, you know, as a publisher, we've tried, we've given out like compatible licenses that our licensees can use to indicate that sort of official, literally an official stamp. <laughs> uh, uh, how to overcome that? No, I'm, I wouldn't yeah. be sure about how to do that. Cause it's, it's more like, like you say, it's when, once people see you backing it, then that, that, that kind of gives its own right. seal of approval. Absolutely. Interesting. So you know, continuing the conversation, one of the other things you've done alongside me is you've served as sort of a proofreader and editor for various Gallant Night Games products. I have. I've been editing stuff for quite a while, which is funny how that started because I'm not actually an editor. I mean, I've, I'm pretty good at spelling and grammar. Uh, anybody who picks up Bavar, the, uh, the title page, that is a deliberate error. I have editor Mark Parrish. I did the own stuff. Editor is misspelled. That is on purpose. It's a joke. Anyway, <laughs> Alan just rolled his eyes at me when he saw that. He said, did you mean to do that? Yes, Alan, I meant to do that. <laughs> you know, it's a valid question because I have literally misspelled my names as the author in a book. Mistakes happen. But when, the way it started with GKG, since I'm not actually an official editor, Alan just asked if people would be willing to proofread things, and I just found myself finding a number of errors and sending them back to him. More what I'm good at is oh, 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 oh. A, a small number of errors, folks. A, small. Sorry, a lot of errors in other people's books. Very, very few in Alan's. Yes, they um, are near yes. unto perfect. He barely has absolutely. Let's maintain. Uh, but what I'm actually good at finding are consistency things where like something on page 20 doesn't match something on page 150. Right. The um, rather, rather than the, you, you exemplify the split that RPGs have, which can be unusual sometimes in that you have your copy editors, you have your proofreaders, and then you have developmental editors and a developmental editor is all about consistency. They tend to make sure the product presents a uniform vision that it is, oh, excuse me, that it is, um, coherent and consistent in the way the mechanics and the communication works, right? Because sometimes as a writer, we will decide, oh, I need to rename this. And, you know, sometimes you do control F replace, whatever, but you miss stuff. And so right. now I call knights paladins and they, I still might mention a knight here or there. And a developmental editor sort of helps to catch that and make sure that is being addressed both, you know, just in the text, but also with the mechanics. Right. And so I started out doing more kind of that and then kind of became, I, I also do copy editing. So Alan will send me stuff. I'll give it a read, send back, obviously no spelling or punctuation ed, ed, edits because Alan, as Alan says, those are always perfect. Um, but it's a, for, for anybody who's ever, and they teach you never to edit your own work. <laughs> 
Yep. For anybody who's ever written a book like this, you, you find that doesn't matter how many times you read it, you still find more stuff to be fixed. So Alan will edit it, send it to me. I'll send back more edits. He'll make those. Then it'll get released and people will be going, well, what about this on page five and this on page 50? And both of us will just be going, yeah, we, we, we all miss it. There's, there's always more to find. I think my favorite editing miss we've ever had at Gallant was in Mechas and Monsters. There were two. And the first one was at some point, I don't know how it happened, but in a sidebar, we called it Mecca and Momsters, um, which will be my April Fool's release, probably. Um, that was that was a minor one, you know, M instead of N, whatever. But the bigger one was under the attack helicopter description. We had a big red piece of text that said, uh, description goes here. And that made it all the way to the print that delivered. <laughs> That is a thing of beauty. <laughs> I missed it. The layout guy missed it. All 1,500 backers who got it in advance and we gave them a window to send feedback missed it. Like, <laughs> sometimes you miss things. Now, luckily it was a generic helicopter, so the description is it looks like a military helicopter. Right? <laughs> it wasn't like we missed something that was unique or something people, you know, if you'd seen an action movie, you've seen this kind of helicopter. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was... Very much, uh, wow, this is our 100th and somethingth release, and look what we did. <laughs> the, See, that, the that's the kind of thing you leave in there just, just for the heck of it, just because it's funny. <laughs> I, I would have, but I kept getting questions on drive through RPG. <laughs> and I was like, I just, I have to change this. But that's the sort of thing that happens, you know. Um, and Mark provides really great feedback. He's got a real eye for it, which is one of the reasons he's so valuable as part of our process. Um, well, thank now, you. the when you were doing your stuff, did you have an outside editor review it? Uh, I I did not because I've been doing it for so many years and I've read through it so many times. And sure. like I say, there's there's always more to find. Um, but I I didn't feel the need to go to an outside editor. Now, if it had been something that was just brand new, I might have considered that. But it was it was just kind of a different sure. beast because you've been iterating over the years so long. You felt like it had received so many passes that you were going to be okay. Correct. Makes sense. Now, with with all this in mind and kind of what we've been talking about, what was your favorite part of the RPG production process? Now that you've sort of done it from pseudo start to finish. Um. Obviously, the the design playtesting is fun. Of course, it's a game. Playtesting is what it's all about, but. Uh, I've always loved game design, which is why I do the card and board games also. And especially that last section we talked about earlier, the through the ages section of all the things I've written. Honestly, that was the most fun to write. It was just a blast to imagine how does this different world behave in these different er eras and trying to come up with rules for each era without it being like overly complex and rules, just a few new tweaks in each era to make them slightly different. I mean, yes, that's accurate. <laughs> I don't know what else to say there. Um, and I will tell you, it's it's been fun working with GKG because these two books, Advanced Science Dungeon and Bahavar, are both very different in that I didn't become a licensee until Bahavar, Advanced Tiny Dungeon, is actually owned by GKG. And it's, I'm not licensed. That's more something uh, I had right. asked Alan early on. Are you interested in this? That was back, I think, in like 2018 or something. It's actually many years old. It's been in testing and playing for a long time. Uh, and I made the, the gaffe of actually posting something on the forum that had like all the rules attached of how to play the game. And Alan had to immediately take it down 
<laughs> learn from that one. Um, but, but so when it did come finally time to, to write the book, it was actually going to be produced through Alan. So he actually did the book production and art and layout and all that. I just supplied the text, right? but the, but the book itself was a lot of fun to work on and, and the testing and all that. Yeah, it's, it was one of the reasons, um, and I posted this on my social media previously, but one of the things I find as both a publisher, but also as a primary uh, designer primarily, that the validation I receive from having somebody else want to publish my work oftentimes outweighs what I do for myself. Because of course, I run a publishing company. I can publish anything I want that I write. I, I The only person who can stop me is me, right? But, right, but, it, but having people want to re- to redo your stuff in other ways, that's, that's or, huge. Or, you know, in the case of like Osprey, who hired me to write some original games for them, they liked my design work enough that they were like, hey, we'd love to have you work with us. And, you know, we want to put your creative vision into production with our style. And that, to me, has been the most validating sort of experience I have when working in the industry. And I get to learn a lot from working with other publishers because every publisher does things a little bit differently. And I've been able to go, Oop, nope, I don't like that. Let's not make sure we never do that. It hasn't happened yet, but it could. So let's put a safeguard in place internally. Or uh, I really like the way they handle this situation or they do this process or the what tool they use, or I can go, yeah, I'm going to steal this because this is a really effective way to handle it. Then they, one of the, fun things about working with with uh with you on this on the advanced dungeon is just so for people who haven't seen it and aren't, aren't aware when helen kind of said okay let's go ahead and start moving this towards production like go ahead and write the book he basically wanted kind of a one-stop shop for everything and what i mean by that is he's at that point like the first 20 issues of tiny zine around he says go through the first 20 issues of tiny zine anything that's applicable to advanced tiny dungeon put it in there so a lot of the stuff in the optional rules chapter and a lot of the heritages you see, uh, basically the first 20 issues of Tiny Zine are included in Advanced Tiny Dungeons. So that was actually a lot of fun to, to work with Alan on kind of getting all that in there. Well, good. Um, yeah, I, I really think, you know, we, we kind of a little bit uh, took the piss out of ourselves with Advanced Tiny Dungeon. We launched the crowdfunding on April 1st. We made it kind of a <laughs> six but advanced joke. <laughs> Um, which, which to me was fun because we were able to say, yeah, we know we make this minimalist game and our brand is this way. So we're going to kind of poke at ourselves a little bit, have a little bit of fun with that. As, as somebody who worked on it, did you find that, you know, and in hindsight, I probably should have asked this at the time, but did you find that to be minimizing of your work? Not at all, actually. I, cause I, I do have that same kind of sense of humor. I, I love irony. I have a self depreciating sense of humor where I can poke fun of myself. So I thought that was the perfect way to release it. Cool. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun to sort of say, you know, and we kind of homage that classic uh, old school RPG style, being able to say, look, this is the thing. This is where we are. This is the situation. Right. And that was, right. that was a lot of fun. Um, I think it, I think it made the game. A little more tongue in cheek, which was a lot better. Uh, I, I agree, and I also think it it helped. Uh, so releasing it as as kind of tongue in cheek was good, but it was also the game answered a number of questions. If you look on the Discord and on the Facebook, people have for years have been asking about, well, what about armor or what about uh, variable damage? All these kinds of things, and it kind of does a lot of things that players have been asking for for a while. 
So it's it was nice to be able to get something out that they answered so many of the community questions that have been coming up for a while. Right. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, validity to that in terms of how we approach game design. And I think it can be really easy to get in our own head as a publishing company or creatives and go, well, no, that's disingenuous to ourselves. Um, but there's actually a, you know, we, we can afford to be a little tongue in cheek with ourselves. We're not, we don't have to be serious about every single thing we do all the time. Absolutely. So I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a, a valuable thing to remember. Well, uh, Mark, we're getting near the end of time here on the podcast. We aim for about half an hour, 45 minutes. So okay. questions for you. Um, the first one is pretty easy. Is there anything you'd like to ask me while we're on? Um, oh, sure. Put me on the spot. Uh, actually, this I, is the only question I don't warn people about. Because I don't <laughs> yeah. Well, ironically, I, I don't actually have anything because I, you're good about answering my questions. We've got our own kind of chat on the side. So anything I want to know, I'm, I've already asked you. So I've got nothing new. Excellent. Well, let's just pretend that that is the, uh, the right answer there then. Right. Um, okay. And then, uh, wait, I I know. Are you ready for my next game? What's your next game? Oh, I haven't told you about it yet. So I'm putting you on the spot. You did it to me. So now it's my turn. Potentially. (laughs) What is it? Tell me about it. Uh, I've actually, it's been in play testing. Uh, it's, it is a, an opposed role system where uh, I've always liked the idea of your stats or dice sizes. So if you're strong, but clumsy, you might have a strength of D10 and a dex of D4. Absolutely. Um, so whatever you're doing, you roll the, you roll the dice side based on your stats and the GM sets a dice size based on the difficulty anywhere from uh, D4 up to D12. Your skills simply give you a bump. So if your dex is a D8 and you're trying to be sneaky, if you're, if, if you have a sneaky skill, you'd bump that D8 up to a D10. So fairly simple system. I'm just trying to keep it minimalist. It's about a hundred booklet pages right now, but over, but about half of that is uh, micro settings. So that the, the actual rules part is fairly rules light. Wow. That's great. Oh, well, I mean, I'm excited to see it. I think it'll be fun to uh, see what you've done. I think there, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's, it's still early on in playtesting. I think technically, yes, the game works. The question is, is it fun enough to be its own release and uh, be worth the time and effort to put it out there? And that part we're still working through. Sure. So it, so, it, it might end up being a homebrew that doesn't go anywhere. Which, which is, you know, valid at times. Sometimes I've made games where I'm like, let's do this. And then I get there and I'm like, no, never mind. It, that it was absolutely not has right. some things we're, we're really enjoying in playtesting. Like there's a karma system that lets people muck about with the dice and do stuff. Yeah, there's dice size uh, game mechanics are a lot of fun. I greatly uh, enjoy and appreciate them. So, you know, using this... Um, using this idea of game design, what are the three most influential RPGs on you from a game design perspective? Um, ironically, D&D, but in the opposite way. It's not because I want to be like them. It's because I don't really enjoy D&D because I don't want to have a game where you buy the game and then you have to keep buying all these other... It's just too many books. Now, it's different from tiny d6 where each book is its own game in D&D, it's all one game and there's just a hundred different supplements and i never wanted that in the game i want just a game that i can pick up in one book and go 
So um, right. that's actually one of my things is I, I want a single book system. Sure. I mean, that makes sense. And I think there's a, I think there's certainly a way to handle that. Right. Right. Um, no, I, yeah. And I don't mind additional books if they're things like, you know, adventures or a game world, things like that, but I don't want to have to have a dozen books just to play the game. Right. Absolutely. It, you, you like a cohesive all in one book so you can then add whatever you want to the recipe to do your own thing. Right. That makes sense. Uh, it, so that was the first one was D and D. What are the other two? Um, I really liked the the cipher system. Now it has it has oh, gone nice. into the route That's of having a bunch of different books. But what I liked about it was, in a lot of the older games, you have here's how you do magic, here's how you do fighting. Everything kind of had its own system, whereas a cipher system was a really good system for here's the rules for how to play, and it doesn't matter if you're fighting or picking a lock or trying to convince somebody to do something. How you do something systematically all works the same way, um, and that. Uh, now, of course, Tiny D6 does it also, but I, I uh, Cypher System was what I was playing when I first found Tiny D6, so I wasn't aware of your system yet. Um, but I, I love that idea of one core set of rules can do everything that lets you get the mechanics out of the way and get to the role-playing. And the third one, of course, is the, is Tiny Dungeon. I'd, sure. You start with that idea of one core mechanic that can do everything, and then massively minimize it so you don't need a 400-page book. You can do it in 30 pages. So your game was actually one of the biggest influences in how I write games. I appreciate that. Folks, I want to assure you, I didn't invite Mark on here to blow smoke up my ass. That was not the point of this conversation. That, that's not why he invited me, but he is offering me a small payment on the side for each conversation. Well, now you are going to give me a bad reputation that I do not <laughs> That is... In no way, Mark. If Mark had no, nothing bad things to not, say, not true at, at all. No, he's he's just been really good to work with, and I really enjoy the games. Well, good, thank you. So, Mark, if folks want to support you and find you, where can they do so? Um, I don't really have a whole lot of an online presence, so you can find me on the uh, Gallant Night Games Discord server or the Tiny D Six uh, Facebook. I don't really have my own spaces because I, because I just do game design as a hobby. So I don't really have my own location. Um, there is uh, artfreegames.com is just a blog page where I would put some of my own card and board games. Um, but since I've been doing role-playing for all that hasn't been updated, but you can go there to see a list of all the card and board games I've done. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, folks, I highly encourage you to check out both Mark's tiny D six work as well as his other work. He has an excellent insight into games and what makes them fun. And he is more than worthy of your support. So Mark, I want to thank you for coming on and being game to kind of answer my questions. I think, uh, I think the idea of understanding how it works from both ends of the licensing spectrum is compelling and definitely something people who want to work in the RPG space should be aware of. Yep. Well, it was good to talk about it. So thank you for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And we'll have you on again. All right, folks. Uh, my name is Alan Barr. This is Radio Free RPG, and we'll see you next time.